Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loyal, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. In and during this great season of our Lord's resurrection, in fact, this past week was known as Bright Week in the Byzantine church calendar. And during that week, we celebrate the unfolding of this event of Christ's resurrection in a very, very exuberant way. But this week culminates in the Sunday, which we call, which is today, the Sunday of St. Thomas. And it's a very big event for our church. And the Sunday of St. Thomas also happens to fall this year on May 1st. So though you're listening to me, I am not here. I am actually in Rome right now, and I am witnessing the beatification of Pope John Paul II. And how providential it is that I am in Rome during this Feast of St. Thomas, which also in the Latin rite is the Feast of the Divine Mercy of the Sister Faustina feast that Pope John Paul II declared during his pontificate, and also the day, the eve of which he very providentially passed on into eternal life. And there he intercedes for us. It's providential for a number of reasons. In the Byzantine Church, St. Thomas Sunday is a Sunday of reunion or of gathering. In fact, in many of our parishes, we have a dinner afterwards. We call it the St. Thomas Sunday dinner. Many parishes actually call it a potluck dinner. Those are always famous in parishes, potluck dinners. But whether it's a potluck dinner or prepared dinner, 
There is a dinner served after liturgy when all the community is gathered together. And there is a bread that is blessed called the artos, which is a Greek word for bread. It's a special bread blessed around Easter time, and we bless it also on the Feast of St. Thomas. And we divide that bread up as a symbol of our community that is many and yet one, one in Christ, one in the resurrected Christ. And we come together, the reason being is because For the first time, the apostles were all together after the resurrection of Christ. You might remember Christ appeared to them in the upper room. This is in John's Gospel. But Thomas wasn't there the first time. There's always a Johnny come lately, although his name was Thomas. And he was always, of course, a doubter. And the second time, though, Christ appears in the upper room with the apostles. And this time, Thomas is there. So they were all together again for the first time since Christ's resurrection. Remember, they all kind of scattered in fear and disbelief when Christ died on the cross. And when he resurrected, as the word got out, they still didn't quite totally understand. They kind of gradually came into this and gradually came back together. They came out from hiding. They came back together. And finally, this Sunday, it was with Thomas as well. And so in commemoration of this, a way of entering into this biblical event, we gather in our parishes in the Byzantine church on Thomas Sunday. And we have a little dinner and we bless the Artos bread. But it's also providential because I am gathered in a place where I used to gather with Pope John Paul II when I was a young seminarian. Back in the days when I was in Rome, I studied for the priesthood. And it was when John Paul II, of course, was the Pope, and I used to go every week, every Wednesday, to listen to him speak live at his papal audiences. And at that time, what he was teaching was his catechesis on the human person, which has now become known as his theology of the body. In fact, I was in St. Peter's Square when Pope John Paul II was shot when a young man tried to take his life. I was right there in St. Peter's Square. That's quite a story. Perhaps I'll tell it to you sometime. And so it's very providential and very touching for me to be back in Rome on this Feast of St. Thomas, kind of gathering again with the family that I knew there, the universal family that gathers in Rome and as they gather in St. Peter's Square to hear the Pope, as we once did to hear John Paul II. Now we are gathered to hear him beatified by the Church, and rightfully so. So it is most providential that I am in Rome at this time on this particular day. It's also very touching for me, and I'm very, very grateful for those of my friends and people, especially through the Tabor Life Institute, of which I am a member, who facilitated my going to Rome for this beatification. In fact, it was a gift to me, actually, and I'm very, very touched by it. Because as I was standing in the St. Peter's Square as a young seminarian years ago, this is in the 1980s, the early 1980s, I never could envision the importance of what it was I was hearing from John Paul II at that time and what it would mean for my life and my priesthood. I knew it was wonderful. I knew it was something special, but I never could envision what God had in store for both the Pope and people like myself who heard this teaching on the theology of the body and incorporated it into our lives and our ministry and are sharing it now with so many, many other people, which is then transforming their lives. I never could envision that I would be back once again in Rome to be with the Holy Father in spirit as he is being beatified, declared by the church and the world to be the great person that he really and truly was. So my gratefulness is to all of you who are listening and all of you who helped facilitate this trip for me. I ask that you keep me in your prayers. My trip is very fruitful and holy and that I return home safe to be with you again. So once again, I give you greetings from Rome 
on this Feast of St. Thomas Sunday, also the Feast of the Divine Mercy in the Latin Rite. A great feast of gathering, gathering to the heart. You know, it's interesting how the Feast of Divine Mercy has a lot to do with the heart of Jesus, his mercy. In fact, even the icon that was developed or the image shows Jesus pointing to his heart and these rays of light coming out from his heart. I can't help remarking how similar that icon, that image is of the divine mercy with the image, the icon of St. Thomas on St. Thomas Sunday. It actually shows Jesus Christ pointing to his side, to the wounds, to his heart, near where his heart is. He's actually lifting up his his clothes and pointing to it to Thomas so Thomas could touch that. And I can't help but remark to myself of how close that image is in its composition and in its spirit to the image of the divine mercy. So both east and west, both lungs of the church today breathe with both lungs about the mercy. The breath that we inhale and exhale is the mercy of God, that mercy from his sacred heart, as they say in the west, from his divine mind and divine will. From all of his love, we breathe in that together on this Feast of St. Thomas. So it's a special day for me personally, for the whole church, and for the world. And of course, for John Paul II. Speaking of the churches coming together, many times I'm asked, how many Eastern churches are there? What are those Eastern churches? Well, we have today on this Thomas Sunday, of course, with us, Katie Goulis. And Katie, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. And I'll say it again in the native tongue of our church, Christos Voskres. Voyestinu Voskres. Well, Katie, tell the audience, let's gather the churches together today, all the Eastern churches, and into, <laughs> into one heading to answer the question, what are the Eastern churches? Who are they? Can you name them off and describe them? We'll get into a little bit about how big some of them are, because that's usually the other question. Well, how, many, how many Byzantine Catholics are there? I'm always asked that question. And it's kind of a hard question to answer, because I first have to explain, well, there's actually many different jurisdictions of the Byzantine church. So... Katie will share with us then this gathering of the Eastern churches on this St. Thomas Sunday. And this information comes from Father Ron Roberson, who works for the United States Catholic bishops. He's kind of like they, in a good way, kind of like the spy, as it were, on the Eastern churches. He writes and keeps abreast of what's happening in Eastern churches, and he makes wonderful reports on them, very, very thorough reports. He knows more about what's happening in our churches than I think we do. <laughs> it is a marvelous job. Anyway, the work of Father Ron Roberson is very, very worth looking up if you're interested in a lot of information on the Eastern churches. But Father Roberson put together this list that Katie is going to share with us about the Eastern churches. All right, Father Tom, we're going to start with the Armenian Catholic Church, which is a patriarchal church. And another patriarchal church is the Coptic Catholic Church. And uh, just so that listeners understand, when we say patriarchal church, we mean that some Eastern Catholic churches have as their head, their bishop is called a patriarch, just like you have in the Orthodox churches. Nonetheless, those Eastern Catholic churches that have their own patriarch also, of course, have the Pope of Rome as, in a sense, a patriarch as well, whereas the Orthodox churches have only their own patriarch and not the Pope of Rome. Okay, Father Tom, the Ethiopian Catholic Church is a metropolitanate. The Syro-Malankara Church is a major archepiscopate. The Syrian Catholic Church is another patriarchal church. The Maronite Catholic Church is a patriarchal church. The Chaldean Catholic Church is a patriarchal church. The Syro-Malabar Catholic Church is a major archiepiscopate. The Melkite Greek Catholic Church is a patriarchal church. 
The Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is a major archiepiscopate. The Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church, which Father Tom and I are members of, is That's a metropolitanate. Yep. <laughs> the Romanian Greek Catholic Church is a major archiepiscopate. The Greek Catholics in former Yugoslavia, the Greek Byzantine Catholic Church, the Bulgarian Byzantine Catholic Church, the Slovak Greek Catholic Church is a metropolitanate, the Italo-Albanian Byzantine Catholic Church, the Hungarian Byzantine Catholic Church, and the Albanian Byzantine Catholic Church. Well. That's quite a list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk more about this gathering of the churches on this day of gathering and the Feast of St. Thomas Sunday on Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, host of Light of the East Radio. Do you remember your wedding ceremony? Andrew, have you come here freely to take... Or maybe you are planning for your wedding day. The marriage ceremony of the Byzantine Catholic Church is actually a timeless reservoir of wisdom and spirituality that can guide and inspire your entire married life. Till death, unite us forever is a live interactive presentation produced by the Eparchy of Parma as part of a year-long marriage initiative. This presentation will unlock for you the deep, encompassing wisdom and spiritual richness of the marriage ritual of the Byzantine Catholic Church. Come to St. Michael Byzantine Catholic Parish in Merrillville, Indiana on Sunday, May 1st at 2 p.m. and be a part of this presentation which will seek to address the questions, yearnings, joys, doubts, hopes, and disappointments that lie in the hearts of people today. Sunday, May 1st, 2 p.m at St. Michael Byzantine Catholic Church, 557 West 57th Avenue, Merrillville, Indiana. Learn more at parma.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Married couples, I have good news for you. There are no such things as marriage problems. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. There are no marriage problems. There are only problems in knowing and living the theology of the body, which answers the question, why are we a man and why are we a woman? When we know this, we come to know our legitimate needs as man or woman, and marriage is all about meeting these legitimate needs. Remaining unaware of these needs is what begins the process of exchanging hurts, leading to strained relationships. A woman's greatest need is to be relationally fulfilled by knowing her husband is emotionally present to her. A man's greatest need is to know that his wife believes in him that he is more than adequate, and that he has what it takes to be a man. Our legitimate needs as man and woman are revealed in the very language of our gendered bodies. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. If you're listening, I want to let you know that uh, you're hearing me, but I am in Rome. A gift that was given to me to witness the beatification of John Paul II, which, as I mentioned earlier, is very providential because I feel as though I'm gathering once again with an old friend and old friends in Rome, which really is the whole world because Rome really is the meeting point of the whole world, especially in the church. It really is true that all roads lead to Rome. When they used to say that, they meant the physical roads because of the great empire, but actually, all 
ecclesiastical, all church and spiritual roads ultimately really do come in and out of Rome. And so I am there gathered together with the world, as it were, and with an old friend, Pope John Paul II. And we are gathered together today because it is St. Thomas Sunday, which is our tradition, the Byzantine Church. And we just heard a little gathering of the list of Eastern Catholic churches. And as Katie read them, she said that they are patriarchal, or they may have a major archbishop, or just an archbishop. Now, to make sure we know the difference here, in the Eastern churches, many churches have patriarchs, which are like, in a sense, their own popes, even though the Eastern Catholic churches are in communion with the Pope of Rome. That's the difference between the Eastern Catholic patriarchal churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches. Eastern Orthodox churches all have their own patriarchs, but they are not in communion with the Pope, and the Pope is not in communion with them. You have to say it both ways to be proper, because they both split from each other, excommunicate each other back in 1054 AD. They did it to each other. It wasn't just the Orthodox leaving or the Roman Catholics leaving. They both did it to each other. So we have to make sure that we're accurate about that. But there's also what we call the major archbishop, and then there's also an archbishop. And in our particular church, the church that Katie and I belong to, that's the Byzantine Catholic Church of the Ruthenian jurisdiction, our ranking prelate, as it were, especially here in America, is an archbishop. Now, our archbishop, his name was Archbishop Basil Schott, passed away last year, and we are awaiting the appointment of a new bishop. So we ask you to join us in prayer. The Holy Spirit will inspire the powers that be to provide for us a new leader for our church in America, a new archbishop. Now, you also heard the word Greek Catholic, and then you heard Byzantine Catholic. These can actually be used interchangeably. Most of the time, we prefer Byzantine Catholic. We used to be known as the Greek Catholic Church, and the reason for this is, is because in the area of Central Europe especially, during the time of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Empress Maria Theresa was a devout Catholic, and her empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was actually at one time a grand Catholic empire but is mostly Roman Catholic. But amidst the Roman Catholic Empire of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, especially in the eastern part in Eastern Europe, like Eastern Slovakia and Ukraine and so on, Empress Maria Theresa discovered that she had a different kind of Catholic people. That was the Byzantine Catholics. And they were evangelized by St. Cyril Methodius and other missionaries from the Greek Orthodox Church centuries ago, back in the 9th century. So she noticed that they had a different origin, though they were still Catholic, still in union with the Pope of Rome. And so she referred to them as Greek Catholics, because the spiritual heritage came from Greek-speaking nations, like at the time Turkey or Constantinople, later Istanbul, and also Greece itself. But they are not, by, by ethnic heritage, Greek. Well, there are some actual Greek Greek Catholics. Most of the time when you hear Greek Catholic, it's referring to the spiritual heritage and not the ethnic heritage. In fact, if you come to churches like my own, where we have the old cornerstones still in our church, although our church is new, it's 11 years old, we retain the old cornerstones from our previous churches, which we sold and then combined to our new church of Annunciation. And on those old cornerstones, as you'll see on many old cornerstones in Eastern Catholic churches, you'll see the word Greek Catholic. And many people will say, oh, I didn't know you were Greek. I say, no, we weren't Greek. We're not Greek. But we, our spiritual heritage came from the Greek-speaking missionaries of the Byzantine Empire. So, starting at about the 1960s, especially in America, our churches, as did many Byzantine Catholic churches, we began to use the word Byzantine in place of Greek because it was just causing too much confusion. People were thinking that we were Greek in ethnic heritage, but it's only a spiritual heritage. So, we began to call ourselves Byzantine. 
But within the Byzantine rite, in other words, the Byzantine style of worship, as it were, one of the elements of the eastern lung of the church, as John Paul II referred to it, the Byzantine rite is an umbrella which refers to a particular venerable ancient rite of the church, of which there are a number. You heard Katie read them off. And within that rite, although there are different jurisdictions, meaning what part of the world, what basically what culture practiced the Byzantine rite. So you have, for instance, the Byzantine rite being practiced in areas such as Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, Slovakia, Lebanon, Syria, and Romania, and other countries as well. Hungary, you heard that as well. These are different what we call jurisdictions. So the ethnic jurisdictions had their own leaders, in other words, their own bishops, their own hierarchy, but they all of them, despite their particular ethnicity, they all followed the Byzantine rite. In other words, they all prayed the same liturgy. They prayed the same divine office and so on, just that they did it in their particular languages and with their particular chants and so on. So that's how you get the differences in all these terms, such as patriarchal, major archbishop, Greek Catholic, Byzantine Catholic. Again, I know it's complex. In the West, it's much more simple. It's a Roman Catholic or Latin rite with Gregorian chant. It's its, it's its original chant and Latin is its original language. There were other rites in the West as well. In fact, I think a few kind of still exist, but there were not nearly as many as in the East. The West is never as complex as the East. It's just the nature of of the two lungs of the church. But I'm also asked, as I mentioned, how many are there of us? So Katie's going to read just a few statistics. And for better or for worse, some of these statistics will show you that there has been actually a great decrease in some of the numbers in some of our churches. Let's start with the Chaldean Catholic Church, which is centered in the Middle East since that's been in the news so much lately. In 1990, the Chaldean Catholic Church Metropolitan Archeparchy in Baghdad had 325,000 members. In 2000, that dropped down to 151,000 members. In 2005, that dropped down to 130,000 members. And in 2010, it went up just a little bit to 135,000 members. But there's such a big jump between 325 and 135 in just 20 years. You're talking about two-thirds of the Chaldean Catholic Church in Iraq being wiped out, basically. And this came from a number of sources, such as literally persecution, literally being killed. And that's what's happening there. And of course, you do hear that here exclusively on Light of the East, especially with our news correspondent and head of the Iraqi Christian Relief Organization, Juliana Tamarazi. You can also get this information going to easternchristianmedia.com. That's easternchristianmedia.com. So you do hear about this exclusively here on Light of the East. A sad, sad situation for our Chaldean Eastern Rite brethren in Iraq. And many of them have fled Iraq as well. Many of them have come to the United States of America, especially in the Detroit area, where they are very, very faithful to their church. And they go to church in great numbers because they have the freedom to do that. Let's hear some other numbers. Okay. The major archeparchy of Kiev in Ukraine for the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. In 1990, there were no numbers to report. But in 2000, there were 300,000 members. In 2005, that number took a significant drop to 130,900 members, but in 2010, it boosted back up to 240,000 members. So it's kind of like a big wave for them. uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in America, in our own eparchy, the Metropolitan Archeparchy of Pittsburgh, in 1990, there were 143,700 members. In 2000, that went down to 75,000 members. In 2005, 
there were 60,000 members, and today in 2010-2011, there are about 59,000 members. And 59,000 members of our whole church in America, right, Katie? Well, that's just for the eparchy of Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh. For the whole church in America. In our own eparchy, the eparchy of Parma, in the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church, in 1990, there were 22,000 members. In 2000, that number dropped down to about 12,500 members. In 2005, there were about 12,400 members. And today, there are about 8,700 members. Now, 8,700 members in our whole eparchy, which covers 12 states. Now, this is the Byzantine Eparchy of Parma, which is of the Ruthenian jurisdiction. (laughs) And it covers 12 states. Its center, of course, is in Cleveland, or specifically Parma, Ohio. And of course, my bishop is Bishop John Kudrick. I say hello to him because he's also in Rome as well at the beatification. But the thing is, it's interesting, is that you have that number. That number is the size, the population of our entire eparchy is the size of some Roman Catholic parishes of a single parish. <laughs> like I know Roman Catholic parishes that have five or six or seven thousand households, families, let alone members. Of course, going to be more members, but this is actual members of our empire. What was that number one more time? It was uh, right now about 8,700. <laughs> so to answer anybody's question, we have about 8,700 people in our own eparchy of Parma. I want to thank you for listening to us at Light of East, for gathering together with us on this Sunday of St. Thomas. And I conclude with these words from the liturgical text of this Sunday, where it says, How wonderful is this doubt of Thomas. It brought the hearts of believers to the knowledge of God. Therefore, he cried out with fear, My Lord and my God, glory to you. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Gullis on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again for the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.